0: 1 John chapter 3, verse 19, The where we'll start. And uh, before we do, let's uh, pray again real quick. Uh, Father, we thank You for bringing us together tonight to worship You, to serve You, to glorify You, and to do Your will. Help us, Father, now uh, as we open Your Word and uh, seek Your uh, wisdom and instruction from it, Father, that You would... Um, Sanctify all Your children here tonight, myself included, through Your Word. Guide me and help me, Father, uh, weak vessel as I am, uh, incapable on my own strength to, uh, to perform this task. Uh, as has been prayed already, guard me against error. Help me, Father, to, to be faithful and pleasing to You. And Lord, may all of us be instructed and edified from Your Word. May the unbeliever who may be among us or who may hear uh, be instructed in the, way, uh, in, in, in the way and be instructed to, to turn to Christ in faith. And these things, Father, we ask and we pray in Jesus' holy name, amen. All right, uh, verse 19 in 1 John chapter 3, by this we will know that we are of the truth and will assure our heart before Him. So far in the epistle of 1 John, we've been... Uh, mostly focusing on uh, what many have pointed out as the, or call the test in the book of 1 John. Uh, We we have listed basically three tests to determine one's faith, to to determine if one has genuine faith, if these fruits uh, are present, that that being the test, that if the fruits of these being uh, true belief, true obedience, and true love are present in you, uh, then that is an evidence that you are in Christ. Uh, that this is a necessary outflow of being born again, a natural occurrence of being indwelt by the Spirit of God, and so accordingly, as we go on in verse nineteen, um, that uh, I'm keeping that in the context here, and in an immediate context where we studied last time, uh, from uh, I believe from verse eleven down to verse uh, nineteen, as where we were last time, dealing with the test of love. <clears throat> as love is the the capstone to these tests, the one that uh, encapsulates and, and pins the others together, uh, that love is in a way the, the chief of these, the, that without love we, we have no true obedience or true belief. If, if love is not present, the others are not. Um, and that being said, uh, if we were to look at the test and to see that, that maybe say we, we do have in some regard belief in, in Christ and have even the right doctrines down, uh, down pat and it's no, no problem there. We're, we're the most theologically sound and orthodox people in the world, but we lack obedience, then we're no different than the demons, as James says. And in the same regard, say we do have that, Belief and even and and we even in some regard obey, uh, but we do not have love. Then that obedience is done by compulsion, and our service to God is seen as a burdensome thing. And invariably, we'll be one who maligns God and considers Him unworthy of our worship and our praise. Uh, that would be the the person who uh, maybe gives a feigned appearance of of obedience, but their heart is not toward God a person who is ultimately unconverted, a person who has bitterness in their heart toward God. One like uh, it's mentioned of in the uh, parable of the talents, the the man who received one talent, and his excuse for doing nothing with it to his master was, you're a hard man. I knew you to be a hard man who gathered where he did not sow and reaped what he had not planted. Um, The the person uh, that this would describe would be that man who would call God a hard taskmaster, uh, but for the Christian, the Christian will have all three of these: the true belief, right doctrines, true obedience, and true love, though maybe not in though certainly in this life not in perfection in any regard, but will have all these present in their life um, and and this being the evidence of the christian we we Ultimately, love encapsulates these and and spurs us on in our uh, observance of of true doctrine and true belief and in our observance of the commands of God, our obedience to Him. And so, accordingly, uh, then with verse 19, we we have, because of this love, if we have this love present in us, uh, love spoken of uh, like that in verse 18 love, not in word or tongue, but in deed and in truth, we can know that we are of God. We can know that we are born again. We can have that assurance of salvation. Um, and accordingly, as John goes on in verse 20, uh, that, that even in the face of our hearts condemning us and whatever our hearts condemn us, and even there it's, it's the assumption not that if our hearts condemn us, but, but when. And uh, in the LSB, uh, of course, it uses the word whatever our heart condemns us. Uh, I believe the assumption there is that <clears throat> from time to time, every Christian will face that, that our hearts will again bring our sins before us and condemn us. Uh, oftentimes, uh, uh, we, we as Christians, even uh, not, not just younger, more immature Christians, but even mature Christians can face that trial. And if we're all honest with ourselves, uh, there's been a time where many of us have asked the hard questions to ourselves, am I truly a Christian? Do I truly love Christ? Am I truly born again? Do I truly have any part with Him? Am I one of His people? And those dark, dark nights of the soul when our minds are confused, our hearts are driving us into the ground. We're being ran through the ringer of our own mind. This condemnation is, a, is a I think, a natural outflow, for, or a natural thing for, for humans in general, for it's based upon our conscience. The conscience being given to us as a gift from God, whereby we can be pushed to understand that we are sinners in need of a Savior. But the problem arises when um, our conscience, though it is a a gift from God, uh, the witness, the internal witness and judge uh, within us that witnesses to the law of God and is meant to remind us of the law and to show us our sins, when we try to relate to God based upon that, upon our conscience, we have a problem. Now, we we should all labor to have consciences clear, but we should not have our conscience as the arbiter of our faith. Uh, And continuing on in verse 20, as John uh, breaks it down further, uh, that whenever our heart condemns us, the Christian can have an assurance there because God is greater than our heart and knows all things. That though our heart is a great witness and great judge against us, God is the greater judge and the greater witness. And it's not as though God looks upon us and sees that our heart is overreacting and we're actually really great people. No, it's actually right the opposite. He looks upon us and He knows all things. He knows our sins he knows our secret thoughts he knows the motives of behind all of our actions even our good or or so-called good deeds are often always polluted by our sins he knows all of this and knows that we are utterly and altogether evil depraved every one of us and yet for the christian he does not look upon us with with right hatred and malice that that a sinful wretch deserves, but He looks upon us with mercy and grace. Not for merit of our own that we've somehow conjured up, but for the merit of Christ. By His own grace and mercy, He looks upon us this way. It is easy, though, when we are troubled in our conscience troubled by our own hearts. It's easy to get that way when we behold the the, the standard of the commandments of God and we uh, say, look at the test here in John the wrong way and we, we say, oh, I'm not meeting these with perfection. Of course we're not meeting them with perfection. None of us are. Or we, we behold... Uh, have a a realization or, or behold more of the glory of God and see His holiness, His righteousness, His justice, it is a natural thing for us to cower at that, to be fearful of that. But for the Christian, we need not shrink away. The Christian is blessed to have confidence, to have peace, to come before the throne of grace. When we get in this way, it is because we are, again, misusing the law. The law's purpose is not to justify us before God. The law is to be our schoolmaster. The law is to point us to our need of a Savior. The law is to be a guide for us, a moral guide that we are to follow. But if we try to relate to God based upon the law, every time we will find ourselves falling short, and we will all the time find ourselves condemned we will all the time find ourselves fearful, nervous, wanting. This is just what Paul sets forth in Romans chapter 7. Uh, he, he, in Romans chapter 7, does not say that the law is the problem, but rather it's sin in us. Sin in us is the problem, that remaining sin nature, the flesh. Paul says that the law is good, righteous, true, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. Therefore, we know looking at the test which uh, which John gives us must not be looked at as a checklist that we go down the list checking them off and saying I've got this one, I've got this one, and I've got this one. If we do that, we're if we do it that way, we're uh, uh, bound to be prideful, to be boastful. We're underestimating the highness of God's law and the lowness of who we are. If we can say that I've got this pegged, I've got this figured out, I'm loving as I need to be, I've got everything as far as doctrine and true faith figured out, I've got everything figured out as far as obedience goes, I've got it figured out, I'm in. Prideful. And on the opposite hand, if we go down it like a checklist and we start seeing, maybe I'm kind of okay here. And I really need to work harder on this one, certainly. And I'm definitely not as loving as I should be. I really need to work on that one. If it's looked at as though I need to work on something, we're making it into a legalistic thing where, where again, we're, we're treating our relationship with God as a transaction that, that I must do and keep doing and keep producing to, be, to continue to have favor with Him. When it is not that way, it is a relationship, it is a father to his children. And in such cases, we're focusing heavily, too heavily upon the fruit rather than upon the root of the Christian life. The tests that we're given here in, in 1 John uh, do show us the fruit of the Christian life, but we're not justified by the fruit. We're justified by the root of the Christian life, which is Christ. The fruit is there to show us and to give us a, a token of encouragement that there is a change already made within us. That when we, when we have the root right, the fruit inevitably must be right. Good fruit does not come from a bad tree, nor does bad fruit from a good tree. And so then, these tests show the natural outflow of a Christian life, the work of God within us. And if we we miss the mark there and we make it, as we've discussed already, a checklist will inevitably either turn in one hand, as mentioned, to pride and arrogance, or in the other, to constant, endless navel-gazing. Uh, looking at ourselves, trying to parse out if I'm doing enough. Am I working hard enough? Am I loving enough? Am I doing this? Am I doing that? When in the instructions that John gives us so many times in this is to abide, to, to be in Christ, to rest, to abide. Not to, not to strive, but to abide. As Christians, we, we ought to strive, but not in some sense as though it's going to maintain or gain us favor with God. But ultimately, if we abide in Christ, if we are truly born again, we're trusting in Christ, and the Holy Spirit indwells us, these things of belief, true belief, true obedience, true love will come naturally. It will not come all at once, but it will be a matter growing in us over time. It will not come to perfection in this life, but in the In that life which is to come, it will be in perfection. Therefore, it's not necessarily a perfection in these things that we're looking for, but it is the the presence of these things that we're looking for in our lives. If there is obedience, if there is true faith, if there is true love in our lives, uh, love for God, love for His people, if these things are present in our lives, it's evidence that we have been born again, we've been uh, justified, we've been sanctified. And so for the Christian whose heart condemns them, and for whatever reason your heart condemns you, uh, there's many, many reasons that we can lack assurance, uh, whether it be uh, we've fallen into sin this week, or maybe uh, it may even be a grievous sin that we've fallen into. Or you may be just the kind of person that it's easy for you to be shaken um, i 've struggled with that myself from from time to time. It just some people are maybe made more tender more more troubled by their consciences and in and in any case uh, uh, the fact of the matter is whatever has come upon us and bothered us, whether it be that i 've sinned this week, because if we all are honest with ourselves, have we have we fulfilled the three tests in, in a, a, a great measure this week? Have I, have I loved like I should this week? Have I obeyed all, God, all of God's commands as I should? Have I believed like I should? No, I have not. Not this week. And if we're honest with ourselves, many of us, we could say, we fail in regard to all three in some, or in some measure each day. But the, the the point again of the test is not the perfection, but is it is are these things present in your life at all? So so easily we we fall into sin, so easily we're we're troubled by that, and, and our conscience responds properly to that by convicting us. And the problem is when we, when we go from conviction to condemnation, when we're convicted over our sins, but then we heap upon ourselves that I must not be a Christian because I've fallen in this way. That is where the problem arises. The problem arises then when we stop trusting and stop believing in Christ who has saved us. When we let conviction, which is good for us, which will drive us to the throne of grace, drive us to Christ, when we let maybe... Our own hearts or the, the scheming of Satan turn us to, to doubting, to fearing. In such a way, we, we are so fickle, we're so easily twisted and turned and contorted every way. One minute our heart is on fire for God and we're filled with love for 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 God and for his people and the next minute we're cold we're indifferent we're impassable we're implacable we're hardened and so well did the hymn writer did the hymn writer get it when he wrote prone to wander lord i feel it prone to leave the god i love and thankfully he doesn't continue on that hymn by saying Here's my my strength of power by my own self that I'm going to work and pull myself up by my bootstraps and do better this time. No, the the refrain in that song is, here's my heart, O take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. The answer is not in my strength, my power, what I can do, but it's in Christ. Uh, He is unshakable, unmovable, though my heart is... Every different way from Sunday, He is the same today, tomorrow, yesterday, forever. He's unchanging, unmovable, unfailing. Though I am failing, He is unfailing. And so, John puts forth for us this great comfort that when our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows all things. So for us, when our heart does condemn us, when the accuser uh, brings accusation against us, we may rest knowing that God who is greatest, the highest, the most holy judge, a greater witness than our heart will ever be, He knows all things. And He knows those who are His. In spite of all our, our failing, our fearing, our internal strife and tumult, God is unshaken. God is unmoved. And again, He knows those who are His. And He knows, he knows our frame. He knows that we're from the dust. And again, He loves us once again not by our works or by our merits or anything like that, but His love is based upon something unchanging and unchangeable, and that is the works of Jesus Christ. And therefore, we can take assurance in that. We can take assurance in seeing the fruit which is being produced in our life because we see that that fruit being produced because God has changed us. It's not the fruit that really necessarily should bring us that assurance, but the understanding that what lies beneath that fruit is what gives us our assurance. The foundation of that assurance being that that God Himself is unchanging and that God Himself is the, 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 the strength, the mortar of our salvation. Looking to our performance and all other things will leave us in fear. But looking to Christ... We can have rest, just as uh, in verse twenty, there is the uh, assumption and the the understanding that from time to time general, uh, genuine Christians will doubt. So, in verse twenty-two or twenty-one, we have put forth something that we'll see in greater detail in chapter 5 as we read that verse, which I believe when I first started this series, that was sort of the verse predicating this, is that we can know that we are of the truth, that we can know that we have eternal life. Uh, So too, in verse 21, I think we get a, a taste of that now, that uh, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. The, the Christian can know that they have eternal life. And it is more than that. It's God's desire that we would have that assurance. That it's, it's, If it's lacking, we're lacking in some way. That if we, we do not have assurance, we in some regard are being disobedient. We're not trusting God as we ought to. And... That may be hard to hear for some, maybe some who are those who are more prone to struggling with assurance. Um, but it, this is maybe a good kick in the pants that you need. This is something I certainly needed uh, to remind myself that when I do doubt that I am forgiven, when I see the, the evidences of God's work in my life and yet I still doubt, I'm doubting Him. I'm, I'm mistrusting Him. Who is the, the foundation of my salvation, Jesus Christ? And so, for the Christian, though, we, we should, we, we can, and we should have assurance. And we should seek to zealously guard that assurance that we have, uh, that we not lose it. It is strength for us that that we can go out confidently and bring the gospel to people it's it's confidence for us to get up each day and to live our lives in service to God assurance is strengthening to us and when it's lacking we're we're lacking there are some denominations and well not sure, honestly, if you would even want to call some of them denominations. Certainly, some of them are definitely not. Uh, there are the, the Papists, the Roman Catholics, who uh, call this an arrogant doctrine that someone can know that they are going to heaven, someone can know that they have fellowship with God. They call it a prideful thing, an arrogant thing, a presumptuous thing. But in no way do we have that here. We we have it clearly laid out that we can know and we should know. And it is in no way set up to be some kind of presumptuous thing. In fact, the ones who would be presumptuous throughout this entire epistle, John has again pointed to those and said, there's no reason for you to have presumption. You're, you're, You're definitely outside of Christ if this is the way you live. But for the Christian, we can have genuine confidence humble confidence, a boldness, a holy boldness to trust in Christ, to, to go forward in the Christian life knowing that we are secure, knowing that we're His, knowing that nothing can take us from His hands. And when we have our accusing hearts silenced before, before God, beholding His grace and mercy in Jesus Christ, who bore the wrath that we deserve, we can have that confidence before God. Made to rest in Him, to abide. We need not flee as Adam and Eve did. We need not fear that when we get to the end that we'll ultimately be rejected and turned away. But we can have an ease, a peace, a comfort that comes from abiding in Christ. The comfort of of knowing that we are ultimately His, that nothing can separate us from Him. We can have an ease of conscience to approach our God without dread, without shrinking away. And as we've touched already on assurance here, uh, we can say that John brings out two basic ideas for us that that come from this true love within us, uh, that that, that seeing the the results of these tests in our lives, that that there is presence of of love, obedience, and faith in our lives, we can have assurance as one merciful and gracious gift from God. And another is, is here in verse 22, uh, we can be assured that God hears and answers our prayers, uh, not in some kind of name-it-and-claim-it sense, as charlatans would tell you. Uh, but we can know that God hears the prayers of His saints and grants all our petitions that are in accordance with His will and that are asked in the name of Jesus and to the glory of His name. When love, obedience, and faith are present in us, we know that God answers our prayers. Not because we obligate Him in any way to do so, but we know that by this, we we know that we're in Him, and if we're in Him, He hears and knows and answers the prayers of His saints, and sometimes the answer is not always what we want it to be. It's not always yes. Sometimes the answer is no, and sometimes the answer is not yet, and sometimes the answer is this way instead. And oftentimes, we'll find ourselves having our prayers answered in this way, that we're Instead of our circumstances changing the way we want them to, instead we're changed by God in those circumstances. That God changes us and conforms us more to His image. Conforms us more to His will. And finally, as we're concluding here, John <clears throat> in verses 23 and 24 uh, sets forth, I, I think, to summarize these, these tests in this way. Um, that is, This is His commandment that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. John here um, encapsulating the, the test in this statement. And then also, I think, uh, we, well, also clearly calling back to the, to the greatest commandment that we have, the, the two great commandments, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves contained here we can see that the tests themselves are even in that sense a, a summarization of the law of God. And so here, and this is His commandment that we believe in the name of His Son Jesus Christ and love one another just as He gave a commandment to us. Uh, that the fulfillment of these tests is, is in this, in verse 23, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, to trust Him With your life, to trust Him with your soul, and to love one another. Uh, His chief, His greatest commandment, the one that encapsulates the others. When this is present in us, when we have this, the one who keeps His commandments abides in Him, in God, and God abides in Him, in us. We know by this that He abides in us, by the Spirit whom He gave us. Wrapping all of this up so beautifully is, is, is that, that it is these things that can give us assurance, seeing that this is present in our lives. And ultimately, as we've discussed already, this is fruit of what has already occurred and what God is working within us. That if the Spirit of God indwells us, which... Indwells all Christians, all genuine, true believers. If His Spirit indwells us, we can know, we can see these things present in our lives and we can know that we are His. Where the Spirit of God dwells, there is life, there is a change in one's life, there is fruit of that. And so for us, brothers and sisters, we can have assurance resting on the unfailing, unchanging nature of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. And though we will not this side of eternity meet these tests perfectly, we can know and be assured by the fact that these things are present in our lives at all. If if these three things, the true obedience, true faith, true love, are present in our lives we can know that God has changed us, that He's working within us, that He's sanctifying us, growing us, uh, th- that there is coming a day when we will uh, reach that, that, that level of perfection. Not in this life. Sinless perfection in this life does not happen, but in the age to come. Uh, think of the, the quote by uh, John Newton. I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be in another world. But... I am not what I used to be. And praise God, I am what I am. And so for us, we can have encouragement, knowing that His Spirit indwells us and that this is a process that He's working within us, sanctifying us, growing us. If these are present in our lives, they will grow in us. If there is no presence of these three things, the belief, obedience, and love, There is no life in us. And if these are not growing, they're not there. They must be there and they must be growing. For the unbeliever here, or listening in later, I'll say to you that if your heart does condemn you, it does so rightly. And know, my friend, that God is greater than your heart. Your heart right now may condemn and trouble you and convict you, may burden you down so much, but there is a greater judgment coming where you will stand before God who knows more than your heart, who sees you more perfectly than your heart does. Your heart, our hearts, even though they may be troubling and run us through the ringer, they're very easy on us compared to what we deserve. And though you feel the discomfort and dread of your heart right now, God will bring all those who are His enemies to endure for eternity His just and holy wrath due for our crimes against Him. But my friend, you can have peace. You can have comfort and assurance. You can have this from God and much more you can you can have God. You can know Him. You can be one of His children. Be one of His people. If your heart troubles you, condemns you right now, convicts you, turn to Christ. Repent from your sins. Trust in Him. And those who come to Him, He will in no wise cast out. Though your heart condemns you now, come to Him in faith and He will not condemn you. He will bring you in. He will take you as His own. He will change you from within. Come now and do not wait while there's still breath in your lungs. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You for instructing us and teaching us from Your Word. We thank You for assurance that we can have that if we would only be obedient, would only trust, we can have assurance of our faith Uh, that we need not sit locked locked in the cage of despair and doubting castle, but need seize upon the key of promise that You have given us. Thank You for Your grace in Jesus Christ, our only hope, our only peace, the foundation for our security, our comfort, our assurance. And Father, we thank You for giving us Your grace and mercy in Him. And it is in His holy name, the name of Jesus, who bore... Our holy, your holy wrath in our place, the, the shame, the agony and despair that we deserve. you in our place. It is in His holy name that we pray. Amen.